Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual, but not much rugby to talk about this week. Uh, so what do you guys think? Should we just dissect Ealing's win over Saracen for the next half hour then? No, let's just leave that and ask us how we are. Uh, mate, how are you, Jim? Because you look dishevelled. Um, you look ill. Yeah, you don't seem like you're buzzing today. You said that last week and you were wrong and I was buzzing. You've said this week and you're right. I'm flat as a pancake, lads. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm, I'm, I just feel down today. I don't know what it is. Maybe the fact that it was no ruggers, but I had ruggers. I had me rugby fix. Not that I was yearning for it, but I had the rugby fix. But for whatever reason, I've gone out of bed and I just haven't seized the day. Have you cleaned your teeth? What's my teeth got to do with it? Well, I don't know, because you get out of bed. Normally, if you like have a shower, clean your teeth, and then you take on and attack the day, don't you? Seize the day. But you just, no, norm- you just normally get out of bed, don't bother cleaning your teeth, and like mope around. I don't clean my teeth till Thursday, <laughs> generally. <laughs> I was actually looking at the news. Don't ever look at the news, especially now. It is one of the most depressing things you can do, but you need to stay informed. It's Blue Monday, whatever that means. Take a bluey on a Monday. It's the day that the most people look to change their jobs around the world. No, it's not. No, it's not. Is it? Yeah. I don't think anyone's enjoying their job at the minute, are they? Not I just, love my job. Well, you're the one of the few exceptions. Actually, there's probably a few of you that like being at home, watching TV, in your slippers, eating crisps. <laughs> that ain't me. That ain't me. So it is Blue Monday. You're right. And that's probably why I'm flat as a pancake. But I get a stem... If you call it a stem, a sprinkle of adrenaline. Let's call it a stem of adrenaline. Chatting to you lads, <laughs> doing the rugby pod. A stem of adrenaline. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. A, a shot. What, whatever they, adrenaline? whatever, you, whatever you call that thing that you smoke. Um, a split. Uh, a stem. Let's call it a stem. A stem. <laughs> There's a gymism, if ever. Oh, I don't even know. I've a got stem nothing. of adre- adrenaline. I've got a stem of adrenaline. Just chatting to you lads. So we'll keep it short and sweet because there ain't nothing to talk about. But I'm sure afterwards, the endorphins will be flowing. I'll feel better for seeing you, Andrew, just because that makes me feel better by seeing you. If I think I'm tired tired and under the weather, I look at you and I feel better. Hey, I thought you were having an operation anyway. I was supposed to, yeah, but it got cancelled. It was supposed to be on Friday. Um, but just blame China. China. Why? What, what have they got to do with you getting your ankle fixed too heavy? <laughs> uh, well, my surgeon, uh, who's a wonderful bloke who listens to the pod, I won't name him, down to patient and doctor confidentiality, but he also works in the NHS as well. He works privately, but in the NHS. So he has prioritised his role in the NHS and cancelled all his surgeries for a few weeks to get us through this uh, difficult period. So yeah, it got cancelled, but I've been feeling the love this weekend, Jim, Where? over the last few days. Well... After announcing last week that I was going to have the big operation on Friday, the amount of messages I got on Twitter, on Instagram, wishing me luck and saying, hope it goes well, I was amazed. There's people out there that have nice things to say on social media. No, what, yes. not just on social media, it's about you. No, they don't. You, yes. No, they don't. Not to <laughs> yeah. you. So uh, to the millions out there that are sending us messages, obviously you saw I put a couple of things out over the last few days. We, we got to number one in the charts as ever, basically down to Gary Graham. Uh, and people were loving it. And then Sunday time, pick up the Sunday Times on Sunday, obviously, and have a flick through the sports section. And there's the chief sports editor, chief sports writer, chief sports correspondent, the boss, David Walsh. He's a massive fan of the pod. 
Who would have well, thought? Well, thank you, David. And now the millions, even more millions know about it. The man who brought down Lance Armstrong is a fan of the rugby pod. Yeah. There you go. It is. It, that was quite nice, actually. Not that you want affirmation. That's all right. That's, yeah. Not that you want affirmation. How good Great is that word, sound? Jim. I know, Great I know. Words. Well, it is the Sunday Times and all, you know, you've got to be able to throw these alliterations out there sometimes. And yeah, it was great to... <laughs> alliterations isn't right, but there we well, go. Well, you know, well, whatever. That thing that where you basically... Alliteration is so where well. you go, sexy sausages, sea lion, sea life. That's alliteration, yeah. right? All the S's. Going back to school with JJ is all I'm saying. But yeah, it was great to <laughs> it was great to see that from David Walsh. And he actually rang me as well the day before, which was lovely to hear. And we were talking about a lot of stuff in rugby at the minute. We we're talking about the concussion part to that because the Times have been quite big and they've done a few articles in recent weeks. Dan Vickerman, obviously, the sad story around him. They interviewed his mum. So, yeah, that was lovely to hear from him and lovely that he wrote them kind words. Who would have thought a 65-year-old man who's been in journalism for years, says he listens to the rugby pod and calls us edgy and informed. And intelligent. Was it intelligent? Was it intelligent or informed? His actual words, Jim, were Jim and Andy Goode, no mention of Andy Road, you notice that. Jim and Andy Goode are informed, intelligent, edgy, and well worth tuning in for. Intelligent must be me. That you can take that. Edgy's definitely me. Edgy's definitely you. Oh, cool. I, d- I don't think I'm edgy. <laughs> uh, informed, we both are. We have our sources. What's Andy Rowe? The- why am I even here? You're the glue, and we are the, the sounding board for your new podcast that I don't know if anyone knows that you've got, but it's all over social media. I'll be in the Sunday Star <laughs> Times before you know it. That, Sunday that Star it's Times, it's a different that, newspaper. What's it called? Su- Let, Sunday there Star, mate, there you go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's, I've been feeling the love then. There's been loads of positivity um, and I've realised one thing this weekend as well. Well, two things actually. Um, obviously spending all weekend with the kids, no work on at all, which was nice. You're lying. Is that nice? Yeah, it was very nice for about five minutes. Yeah, there you go. So you need to <laughs> add some detail onto that. <laughs> well, it was very nice, uh, but what I need to add and the big thing I've worked out again this weekend, it happens every time. Whoever invented that fucking song, Baby Shark, da, 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 babe, fucking hell, he needs to, or she, whoever it is, mate, the most frustrating thing, and the missus bought them these two Baby Shark toys for the bath that just play the same song on repeat. All they do is sing it. When I can't get it off their iPad, they go outside, they pretend to be Alexa, and they're just singing the Baby Shark song themselves. I mean, that has gone through me all weekend. In one ear, out the other, and I just can't get out of my head. So that's been doing my head in. But also, I've worked out that Isabella, very proud of her this weekend. You know, like your proud father. You see those moments when you're like, yeah, that's my girl. And I definitely know she's mine after this weekend. It, it's been confirmed. Well, you say that, Jim. One of my favorite pastimes in the house, when all the noise is ramped up, is finding my own little space in my ensuite and just having an hour, pants down on the toilet, just, cigarette I'm out a, I might not even do anything but I've just got my phone out I've got some peace and quiet and I am just enjoying the moment tweeting is that is that the moment yeah. you tweet is that from yeah. the toilet yeah possibly sometimes yeah um, anyway so obviously we're doing the whole potty training thing that's going pretty well but Isabella has got this idea at the minute that because daddy sits on the toilet a lot and they know it 
she needs to sit on the toilet a lot as well. So I've spent most of the weekend in the toilet and she's like, Daddy, just sit in here with me. I'm going to do a big poo-poo. And she's there for about 45 minutes. And every time I get the phone out, I'm like, this is what Daddy does on the toilet. Gets the phone out. She's like, Daddy, play me Baby Shark. I'm like, no, get off the toilet now. My goodness. So uh, frustration, but she's definitely mine. So kind of proud of her as well. She likes a long poo. All I'm saying is she likes a long poo. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> that is the excitement of the day now. Genuinely, getting up at six in the morning... And waiting for Beck to get up, we alternate days. What time? Till half seven in the morning. What yeah, time? Well, yeah, they get up about six in the morning, quarter past six, <laughs> half six if you're lucky. Wow. And if I'm getting up, if it's my day to get up, I am waiting till half seven, eight o'clock to hit that toilet for an hour, is all I'm saying. Close the door <laughs> and hide. That's the, that's the highlight of the day at the minute. My word, when will this end? You saw some rugby over the weekend though, didn't you? Yeah, you all watched it, didn't you? Uh, no, James. Why would you not watch the only game played in the UK? It wasn't the only game, was it? Because Saracens played against Ealing Trailblazers. The only professional game. Oh, I'm horrible <laughs> to say that. Is that horrible? Is that? Yeah, you can't say that. Well, I, yeah, well, I shouldn't. I don't know why. There's me just making excuses. Yeah, I was there, mate. I was there. Don't know if you saw me, but I was. No, no you didn't no. see me. No, Glasgow, hashtag Warriors. We are Warriors. All Warriors versus hashtag Always Edinburgh. It's quite a game, actually, to be fair. Can't remember what <laughs> happened. There was, a, there, was a, there was a bit of drama, wasn't there, Jim? Hit me with it and I can tell you about it. There was a bit of drama just before the halftime hooter. The old train goes past. Nick Groom kicks it out. But you know what? Only until this morning, I didn't see it. What? You are? Well, this is the thing, Goody. I had You're to... commentating on the game and <laughs> you've only noticed it this morning. Because the way that numbers are for Premier Sports, and they're trying to utilise their main man in the middle, Jim Hamilton, speaking in the third person here. So I was doing commentary, but I had to go down for half-time, and you need to leave two minutes before. And because of yeah. the protocols, you can't just walk down the stairs. That'd be way too easy. So you have to go into the stadium, you have to go round, down, back up, down, come back through the door that you've just walked through, and then back down the stadium. So I've missed, I've missed the end of it because of the, the COVID protocols that stadiums are putting in place. You need your mask for commentary, but then you don't. We had to get sign off to not do commentary with your mask. So I've missed it. And then I saw some stuff on social media and saw a few tweets. And I had to put it in the search engine on social media is how we consume <laughs> our life. And I saw it. That was interesting. That gave us something to talk about. Not only has he not looked at the clock. Actually, he looked up at the clock and then still booed it out when it wasn't even 40 minutes on the clock or down to zero, zero, zero. But he's ran back about 40 yards as well. <laughs> Literally, go, not goading them, but he's just like looking around, running. Come on, yeah, just, come on, big fella. I'll just kick it out here. And then they give a penalty away. But yeah, uh, and then obviously the try near the death. And they could have won it, couldn't they, Edinburgh? Aroni Sal. Aroni Sal scores in the corner. That's, a great, that's a great name, isn't it? Aroni a good Sal. player as well. A good yeah. player. Um, Scottish? Of course. In a couple of years. No, he's not. <laughs> um, some talking points. What we got for you? Glasgow, bottom of conference, eh? Struggling this season. Feel for Danny Wilson, Johnny Bell, Kelly Brown, my good mate. Losing Adam Hastings as well to Gloucester. Dunkey Weir's going back to Glasgow. As we spoke about last week, Dunkey Weir going back back there. They needed something. Edinburgh going all right. Big news out of Edinburgh. Duan van der Merwe leaving to go to Worcester. Got capped by Scotland. Why being horrible? Then takes 300 grand with Worcester. Could be more. And <laughs> they signed Hamish Watson, Jamie Ritchie. And that's about it. Glasgow scrum was very good. Got absolutely hosed the week before. Xander Fagerson, friend of the show. Seven penalties in the game three weeks ago. Actually, eight penalties. Seven of them at scrum. Can you believe it? And then they shored the scrum up. And 
They beat them. <laughs> That's it. Young Ross Thompson, we gave him man of the match. Young fly-off, Andrew. That was going to be my question. Who did you give man of the match to? You, you'd, it's player of the match, but you'd like him. First start for Glasgow. There you go. You've done a bit of research. I like that. At fly half, 13 points. Who needs Donkey Weir? He was good. Yeah, nice. He was good. Aki Saeli should have got man of the match. He was a loose head prop. Stayed on for 80 minutes. Scrummed unbelievably well. But it was a good game, to be fair, because some of the games have been rubbish. We can speak frankly on here. And uh, that one was very good. So I was happy to be there. Well, it's and- interesting, isn't it? It was the flip opposite of the one you commentated on the other week that was nil-nil till the 68th minute or whatever it was. I quite enjoyed that one as well. And didn't Cockers say pre-game, what was his comment? If you if you want to see something entertaining, go to the theatre. Oh, no, Cockers, they're closed, mate. That's exactly what I said on comms. <laughs> Did you? That's exactly what I said, quote-unquote. We, <laughs> we just think alike. You watched the game. I know you did, you cheeky sod. You watched it. Well, there might not have been much action on the pitch, but there's been plenty to talk about off it. We've spoken about it in the last couple of pods, and now Alex Sanderson has been confirmed as sale director of rugby. Do you guys think he'll be suited to a DOR role rather than head coach? Well, I spoke to him today, being Monday. We were going to try and get him on the podcast, but it's his first day at work. And my first line to him was, he needs Have you to check your bank balance. Well, that as well, but it was more about him needing to deliver. We've talked about that much, and he said to me, if there was a World Cup to be one with a premiership team, that would be the pressure on me to win that with everything that's been said about him. So, um, an unbelievable signing for sale. We've said it, everyone's spoke, spoken about it. Uh, I didn't think it would, was going to happen. It obviously has happened. 500,000 re- reasons why, like Goody said. Huge for sale, absolutely huge. He's got an unbelievable squad there. You look at the the makeup of that team, both with the academy players coming through, but the South African contingent. You know, we've had Simon Orange on here talking about the way he sees the club going forward. New training centre, you know, flying the flag for Northern Rugby with Newcastle. So he's a massive sign. If he can do what he's done at Saracens and mould a culture and bring that all together, they're, they're going to be a hugely successful team. Yeah, I completely agree. And I echo everything Jim said. We spoke about it a bit last week and talked him up. But it's rightful to talk him up because he's been very successful um, in what he's achieved at Saracens. And, you know, park all the, the, the salary cap stuff. That's nothing to do with him. When you talk to people and get into the nuts and bolts about his coaching and how inspirational he is and how he thinks and, you know, the different edges he brings to a team, he's worked wonders. So it can only be a massive positive for sale. Um, the interesting thing for me is I'm, I'm surprised you got through to his phone though, Jim. Why? Well, apparently Ashley's been calling him nonstop because he's trying to leave Harlequins to go back up to sale. <laughs> Can so, you imagine? Uh, well, it's, uh, I, I say that bit tongue-in-cheek, but I know it's the truth as well um, because apparently as soon as, as Dimes left sale or however he left, whether it was pushed or walked, Ashley was desperate to try and get that deal back on the table because uh, he ain't up there down at Harlequins. Well, if I was Anderson watched the game against Racing... He'd be offering him five quid not to come, I think. <laughs> so, Worcester. Worcester's the one that we're hearing about him, the big one. Yeah. For there'll, there'll, be, there'll, there'll be loads of Saracens players and people that have always been involved with Alex and have close relationships with him that will think there's a major opportunity there now. Yeah, do you think he'll take many people with him? I don't think he will. I, I don't know whether there'll be an unwritten rule or promise, but... It's a difficult one because that's the first question I asked my mate. I said, do you reckon he'll take Joe Shaw, Kev Sorrell, or he'll want to an Ian Peel or whatever? Because that's what the football's, uh, football coaches do, don't they? You see they go as a team because you go with your trusted confidants. What a word that is. 
Yeah, you can, confidant. You do today with Sounds like a con. Um, yeah, confidant. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you do have to ask questions. I don't think he will. Dorian West is the the, the forwards coach there. Old school tops off Morlin. Uh, can you see? This is the thing. Like we both know Dorian West, aka Nobby. Everyone knows what he's like. Everyone knows he's proper old school. Get your tops off, maul until the cow sheds and back. That ain't Alex Anderson, is it? I know Alex Anderson's got a bit of bite in his sessions at times, but they're polar opposites, those two. Yeah, but maybe it it's a work. match made in heaven. Exactly. You know, you've got Anglesey there. I don't know, know whether Alex has Al got a dog. Got, well, let's say he has. He's going to be. He's, <laughs> I imagine with the kind of get up that Al's got in London, he might have one of them chinchilla things that looks like a cat yeah, so yeah. Pete Anglesey will be walking that anyway that's all we know but huge I, I tell you what it's great for rugby as well the fact that yeah, you've got Saracens <laughs> if they come back up uh, we can maybe talk about that but I'm sure they will because it'll be ring fans like I said three years ago um, but the fact that you've got Mark McCall a Rob Baxter you've now got Alex Sanderson a Paul Gustard at Quinns you actually look at the makeup of some of the coaches in the Prem I know of Mr. Lodat as well Steve Borthwick, have in your mind. Ooh, teabag. <laughs> You've got some great coaches in the Prem now and Alex Anderson at the helm for sale. I will reiterate, they need to win the World Cup. Even though they're not in it, they need to win it. <laughs> you have to have a job, Jim. You, do you put your hat in the ring? Do your CV go in there? What, for sale or Saris? Yeah, well, either, because there's a job open at Saris now and I heard there's a fair few ex-Saracens lobbing their CV around for that. Come get me, come get me. Start, starts with a five, I'm in. <laughs> 50 oh. <laughs> well we mentioned uh, Elon beating Saracens and ring fencing looks like it's imminent but one of the options on the table seems to be pausing relegation and expanding the premiership to 13 and then 14 teams over the next two seasons can you guys see that happening well Jim the first thing I'm going to say is before we get into the ring fencing conversation we re- re- rewind chip all the way back to when, as you said, the Ealing Trailblazers smashed Newcastle Falcons in a preseason friendly, and you got stuck into the Newcastle Falcons like you wouldn't believe. And now I'm sat here a few weeks later, Jim. My old club, Newcastle Falcons, near the top of the Prem. And old Saracens, your old club. No, they got done by the Trailblazers too. What are your thoughts, James? It was effectively a draw. You look at the scoreline, it was that close. <laughs> it actually wasn't. It was they They closed it up with a... Uh, a try and a convert, well, a converted try with the last play of the game, didn't they? So it was actually, was it 27-19, pants, pants around your ankles time, apart from the try at the death. Let's just call it a draw. We'll <laughs> leave it at that. Huge, huge, huge for Ealing. Um, they've, yeah. talk, they've talked a big talk and we can talk about the, the ring fencing stuff because I'm sure that they want to be in a position to, to go up, whether or not that is within the ring fence or whether that's in a year's time is what we're hearing. Um, who knows? I love how rugby is so streamlined. At the end of every single sentence that we're talking about things, I'm putting who knows, because no one knows <laughs> what's going on. But There's a pandemic, Jim, isn't there? Of course. Well, even if there weren't a pandemic, it's hardly that streamlined, is it? So you look at it, it's massive for Ealing. They're playing again this weekend, and I'm... I've got a feeling it might be slightly different. Saracens, everyone's saying, oh, you know, they didn't have their first team out. Well, they didn't, but they had Billy Vanapola, they had Duncan Taylor, they had Rotty Sheegan on the wing. They had some experience in that team. They had Don Morris. He was quality yeah. at the back end of last season for Saris. Joel Kapoku in the second row. Tom Whiteley on the bench. Callum Hunter-Hill played a load in the Prem as well. So it's not as if they had an academy team, that's still a very good team. But, I mean, you think about the Ealing Trailblazers, how 
fired up for that game. You talk about cup final and World Cup wins that Sale need to show this season. Massive for them. So, And I suppose that puts pressure on the powers that be who were talking about the ring fence because anyone you speak to or you hear speaking about Ealing talk about their appetite and their ambition to be in the Prem, right? So the fact that they beat Saracens... Oh, it was Saracen's fourth team. What am I saying? Look at the team. <laughs> Look at the team. There's no Marrow. There's no Owen. There's no um, Mako. Your There's mates. no Jamie George. None of my mates. And then there was none of the, the Barbarians. What do you call them? The Barbarians what? The Robshaw boys. The Barbarians eight. The Barbar Barbars eight. Either way, it was you know, fair play to Ealing Trailblazers. And I felt part of that victory for them. I felt some you know, connection with it. Because, because you don't like Saracens. No, 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 nothing to do with that. The 10, Craig Willis was my understudy at Newcastle back in the day when, you do, I ever tell you I kept Newcastle up? No, you didn't. Got no, relegated. Oh, no. well, yeah. Craig Willis was the young 10 underneath me then. So he learned a bit from me. Basically, he learned not to train, but just play at the weekends. Um, and when I say play, walk around the field, hardly, hardly breathing properly and then just kick a few goals. But he kicked a few goals, didn't he, Craig Willis? So um, yeah, delighted for the Ealing Trailblazers. And it'd be nice if they did come up into the Premiership because it's not too far from me. It would be a, it'd be a home game, effectively. Maybe I'll host their corporate hospitality as well. And we should say as well, before the owner of Ealing rings us and says it is the trail finders and not blazers, <laughs> it's just banter because that's what we do. Because his company is what the team's named after. And they obviously need all the profile that he can get. Yeah. I, it, the, the whole discussion around ring fencing, it's always been there. And I, does this victory for Ealing make a difference to it? I don't think it does. I think the only way you could really say that um, a sensible solution is to to ring fence it to 13 clubs is if Trailblazers win the championship in whatever format that that's finally completed in. Um, and as Mark McCall said after the game, fair play to Ealing for producing what they produced on the day, but he'd, he'd like to think there'd be a very different team if they met in a knockout stage the final, whatever it may be, come May, June time, whenever that is. But, you know, ring fencing's here. It's going to happen at some point. How it happens is the big question. And do the Premiership clubs want to split the money 14 ways instead of 13 ways currently? Um, they've already diluted their share by selling out to CVC, you know, last year. And they've t- a lot of them are taking that money. And that money's been and gone uh, due to COVID. So, again, it's a decision that the clubs have got to take. The RFU, we've said it loads of times on here, the RFU council uh, decide and have the, the final decision to make around whether that can happen, promotion, relegation, because they are the kind of bearers of what happens in, in across the English league. So, plenty of things to talk about. I think I'm dead against ring fencing long term, but for a couple of years, get Saracens back up and and ring fence it to allow Ealing to continue to build because it's 50 million quid the difference I reckon and that's not a throwaway comment I reckon the difference between being sustainable in the premiership with a stadium that meets the criteria and your squad over a period of time it's a 50 million quid investment and I know the Ealing Trailblazers owner has got plenty of cash but I also read somewhere that he's lost a load of it down to the pandemic and Mike Gooley is 84 years of age. So, you know, his business, it's 50 million quid, I reckon, to invest in a team, in a structure, in an infrastructure, in a stadium to get to the be competitive in the premiership. So will he want that legacy to continue or will people that start to run his business the older he gets potentially not want to invest as much? It's, it's big decisions. Let's just leave the statement 
with this. Who knows? Well, the reason there hasn't been much rugby this weekend is that the Champions and Challenge Cups were suspended and we haven't had confirmation of what's going to happen for the remainder of the season yet. So we're going to have a chat now with the EPCR's top man, Chairman Simon Halliday, joins us. How are you, mate? Under the circumstances, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Well, Simon, Happy New Year and all that palaver. Tell us what's happening, mate. What is going on? Just hit, hit us with something, please. Well, there was a time I, I wished I was in the higher upper echelons of the French government um, so I could have uh, perhaps altered the decision. But, you know, government decisions you could do nothing about. I think the timing of all of this was very unfortunate because obviously the cases and the strains and the, the issues of the variants, etc., were were right in the forefront. And the French teams were feeling it. And obviously the government stepped in and stood us down um, for, uh, well, for our two weeks and obviously remains to be seen what happens going forward. So we could do nothing about that. Uh, the future is on our own destiny in the sense that we've got four weekends towards the end of the season that we can do something with. And um, the three leagues have immediately sat down to think how we can you know, recreate um, the excitement of the tournament whilst we know that we've lost some time. But you know, we, these times, we, we did this last year, everyone's had to adapt and we'll, we'll adapt again. And we'll come to what that looks like later on in the season in a bit. But um, I just want to talk to you about the rumours that started escalating um, sort of the week before last, where it was the back end of the week before where they were saying that, you know, the French government are saying this. And then we didn't actually get full sort of committal that the games were going to be postponed till about four o'clock on the Monday afternoon. Um, I know there's been frustration from clubs. Are you saying that that's purely the, the French government and their sort of timelines with making the decision, or is there anything else that the clubs could have done to sort of either speed that process along or not? Um, There's a very clear uh, understanding of what happened, which was that the uh, EPCR with LNR at the French League went to the French government who were asking questions about protocols and the risks and such like. Um, Obviously, there was the, the, the couple of instances of the week before where Toulon decided they didn't want to play and the Stade Francais didn't travel. Uh, and so we took to the French government all the protocols that have been signed up between all the leagues, so representing the clubs, clearly. And the French government decided, notwithstanding that, to call off or to ask the French clubs not to travel. So we didn't get the sort of clarity that we would have liked. They were dealing specifically with the LNR eventually, so they wrote to them and the LNR passed it on to us. I'm sure there's something governmental and political about that in the sense that the French government's talking to their clubs, uh, as opposed to they didn't feel they could perhaps talk to the whole organisation, which of course includes the rest of the UK um, and Italy. I suspected something like that. We're, we're never really going to know the decision was made. And we, we made a very quick decision that if the French clubs weren't going to be able to play, that we wouldn't just do the bits that were possible because that would obviously bring the integrity of the tournament into question. People would know what the results were and what they might have to do at a rearranged date. And of course, there is no date to rearrange because of the compression of the season. Uh, So we were put in that position. We had no alternative but to accept that ruling and uh, get on with it. And then how difficult was it for you when you you mentioned the Toulon case and the Stade Francais case before that? Yeah, I know there's some noises coming out of Toulon saying they weren't happy that the Scarlets were given the points, etc. Um, how difficult was it for you to make those decisions when ultimately everyone's health and safety is at risk and sometimes you know, the French 
and Toulon in particular said they weren't happy to play, but then they felt they were penalised for not playing, even though they were okay COVID-wise, supposedly. Yeah, I think look, the the uh, no one is satisfied with off-field decisions. You don't win anything off the field. Uh, I think all the leagues have decided that if a game couldn't be played for COVID reasons, uh, that there would be uh, decisions made. So all the leagues signed up to that. And you know, people understood that whatever decisions were being made, and of course, at the end of the day, these are human beings playing the game. They've got families, they've got relatives, some might be ill. You just don't know, do you? So no one's ever going to question the human being's right to change their mind on something. This is only a sport. It might be business, but it is a sport. And if they felt that they were um, unduly um, walking into risk situations they didn't want, they made those decisions, knowing what the um, the outcome would be. But you can't, if in a situation like this, you have to have an outcome. Otherwise, and of course, everyone's got their, their different way of dealing with it. Premiership have got their way. They've got protocols in the other leagues as well. And, uh, you know, it, it comes back to that time when if a team, for example, had a match frozen off, but they hadn't made a, a, another pitch available or they hadn't gone down that road, then they'd be ruled against for not having done all they possibly could to have fixed six kind of comes from that. Um, I think we have to keep looking at these things because uh, none of it's satisfactory. And obviously in the end, it's become reasonably immaterial because I think that we're not going to, at least I hope we're not going to prejudice anybody into the latter stages of whatever we set up uh, because of a COVID result. And Simon, what point does it become an impossible task? You look at the premiership and you can understand why that would carry on because it's all around England. With the Champions Cup, the Heineken Champions Cup, at what point does it become an impossible task with all the travel, with no fans in the stadium? I think for the, for the listeners and the viewers of the pod, it'd be really interesting. I, I know the answer. For you to maybe say why we're pushing so hard, not just to cancel the games and actually postpone them and try and replay them later on in what is already a congested season. Well, we, we have a bit of a bit of space because... Uh, the next gap, if you like, is not till April. That's our next, um, that was that was going to be the, the quarterfinals. You know, we've, we've constructed a home and away quarterfinal narrative, which I think would have been amazing. And um, everyone's really looking forward to that. The clubs are really receptive to that format, which again came out of crisis planning because obviously we changed things this season um, to reduce the, the, the number of weekends in respect of COVID. So um, we already came up with that. So th- there is some time. You know, I can't predict um, vaccination rollouts and how safe people are going to feel over what period of time it's going at different paces as we've seen. So this thing will unfold over a number of weeks, but we are definitely planning for the last four weekends in a format that's going to keep enough teams involved that will, you know, bring the integrity of the tournament that we need rather than, you know, fast track a limited number of teams and go straight to a semi-final or something as people were kind of saying, is that what you should do? I don't think that fits, uh, and the leagues have recognised that. So they've worked very hard to come up with a series of options. Um, and, and, you know, what we've regrettably had to do is have plan A, B and C um, in this unique time. So, uh, But the best minds are looking at it. So all the tournament directors and the leagues themselves um, are trying their damnedest to make sure that this tournament completes. I mean, I think you look at the, the quality, I mean, even the quality of the first two rounds, really, when you... You, you, you look at some of those matches, you know, the Munster-Claremont game. I mean, it's a sensational game of rugby. And you get a snapshot of really how powerful this tournament is. So I think there's a general will to complete it. 
You say some of the greatest minds are, are looking into it. Myself and Jim Hamilton are included in that as well. We've been looking into it. Um, and we know that there's four weekends possibly left to go. Um, the most common sense one from our perspective would be 16 teams uh, in a round of 16 and then quarterfinal, semifinal, final, obviously single legs. That's clearly one of the options. We've seen a lot of different ideas come out in the press. Um, can you give us any information on what plans A, B and C look like? Uh, how close are we to a decision to, to be made? Um, and does a lot of it depend on the Six Nations as well? Because the French, for once, they're doing exceptionally well in the tournament, but they're pulled out, which seems a strange relationship, I suppose, when um, you know you could perhaps understand they wanted to pull out if they weren't going so well, but most of their clubs are doing exceptionally well. I mean, none of this can be seen in isolation. I think that the if we assume that everything else takes place, I mean, when, when have you seen a two-week initiative in the last 12 months of the pandemic, you know, that hasn't sort of lasted for a bit longer? And we all hope that, you know, the season continues undamaged from here. If it doesn't, then, and I've said it before, that I think we should take a clean sheet of paper and work out how we complete the season um, from wherever that start point is. And we've done it before. And we should, we'll need to do it again. So if the Six Nations is impacted, and we're obviously being reassured that it won't be. Uh, but if it was, then the game needs to come together and we need to work it out. Because you're dealing with the same players. You know, the assets are the same. The top players are playing either in Europe or the domestic leagues or international rugby. So we have a number of weekends. How do you do it? But if that's not the case, then, as I said, I think the... The general direction of travel is to have more teams contesting the latter stages in the next round, because uh, one, it say mitigates that COVID impact if there is one. It might leave one or two teams kind of on the wrong side of the, the draw in one sense. Um, you know, home we know home advantage means a lot in this tournament, but at the end of it, I think everybody is understanding of the circumstances. So. I do think there'll be an outcome where you see a good chunk of the top teams competing in the next round and then on to the quarter semis and final. And who, who, who's the end decision maker on that? Is it EPCR themselves or is it yourselves or is it the clubs collectively? Yeah, I think I think in these circumstances, it's everybody because, I mean, obviously EPCR has got a very, um, remember, we are the leagues and the unions. So yeah. it's not like this is a separate organisation here. Uh, I think that the... Um, the leagues are so important here because they can see how the season's going to unravel and what, if any, adjustments they're going to have to make to their own tournaments and what they've already had to make. I mean, look, obviously the debate about the premiership teams not playing in these two weeks and um, why, and some of the French teams have played. One or two of the Irish teams, uh, the Pro 14 have played because of previous um, suspension. So everyone's doing their own thing around that, but we can all see what it's going to look like later in the season. So the leagues with EPCR will make that joint decision because, you know, you can't look at it in isolation, as I said before. And if we get other games being called off or having to reshape them, then we just need to look at it in the round because the fan is the important person here. They've already put up with a hell of a lot and we're trying to make certain that they can see a structure to the rest of the season as well. That brings me on to my last question about, I think, we're all in agreement and arguably acceptance that there's not going to be fans during the Six Nations. We're hoping to try and get some fans back in the stadium come the summertime, hopefully, 
from your position, and I say that you've been around the game a lot, you're obviously operating at the high ends of the decision makers in the game. Like I listened to Razi Erasmus say that he'll take option Z um, of a Lions tour <laughs> happening in this summer. That to me says that he'll take any option as Z's the last letter of the alphabet, I think. And off the back <laughs> of that, you know, you look at it, you'll obviously hear whispers and whatever. How likely are we to see a Lions tour go ahead, do you think? I think there's two there's two views. One is how can you possibly have a Lions tour without fans? You know, we we love the fans inside our European matches because it's very tribal atmosphere. You know, the Lions, as we all know, is is a, another step again. So that's one view. And the other view is whether it's here, whether it's there. You know, we should get something done. And and again, I come back to the bigger picture of you know what is most important in the rest of this season. You've got domestic in if you like, the French Pro 14 and the Premiership, then you've got the Europeans, you've got Six Nations, you've got the Lions. They're, they're all, that's all coming down the wire. And we shouldn't shirk from making tough decisions. I, I can't call whether the Lions should be deferred for a year. When you think about it, you know, the, the press is saying, well, the English and the Irish don't want that because they've got big tours to Australia and New Zealand. And I guess they'd have a dozen or more players from each country involved in the Lions. But you don't win a World Cup with a dozen top players, do you? You know, and so the squads need to be deep these days. Uh, I, I, I'm looking at why wouldn't you preserve the Lions for what it's what it represents? And if you have to wait a bit, wait. It's a novelty factor to have them come over here. But of course, you know, if we're looking at the balance of the season and thinking it could become pressured, um, and it's you don't have to be visionary to think it may be, then perhaps we're being too optimistic. But you know, at the end of the end, interesting thing is that the decision makers are all the same. The Lions decision makers are also the Six Nations decision makers, and to a degree, are also the EPCR decision makers. So they're the same people. So what you hope is that they look at this as we all do. I've got no input to the Lions, no input to the Six Nations, but you know, we, it's a, we have a big tournament, so and we use the same players. So I think when when the Lions meet this week, they're going to have all those things to look at. But they won't make a decision in isolation. And that's what gives me confidence that their eyes will be wide open, whatever they do. But, you know, Willie John McBride, McBride, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that, talks about the unique status of the Lions as a a touring team. And I suspect when you strip it right back, that's really where it all starts and finishes. All I'm taking from that is that I'm heading to South Africa at Christmas to watch a Lions tour time. That's all I'm taking <laughs> from that. I should be there as well. <laughs> and, we know, and we know that Jason Leonard's part of that decision-making process and he loves it. Well, tour. listen, I've offered him a visit to all the vineyards that, that I'm connected to, so I'm sure that that's another incentive. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, last thing I'll ask then just on this, because there are, there are going to be questions um, because it's around the French government. How is it possible that the French government have made this decision for European rugby, um, yet they're okay with the at the minute as it stands the six nations to go ahead um and is that something that you're factoring in to say that actually if the numbers get better in terms of covid so there's less cases and uh the pandemic is supposedly um you know coming to a a, at a slower rate with the vaccinations etc surely we'll be able to just play those four weekends without worrying about it and the french government won't have a leg to stand on if they go ahead and play the six nations for the, the french national team I'll choose my words carefully. Uh, We've had to uh, put up with, survive and deal with the British government's multiple decision-making 
And of course, everyone has a right to change their minds. And we've seen plenty of that as well. You're never going to make a call on people's health. But I, I, I'd throw it back and turn the question to another question, which is, where are the safest environments that have been created during this pandemic? And I pay great credit to the sports authorities, sports grounds, the stadia, certainly in the UK, and I think everywhere, that created incredibly safe environments uh, for those players to go and play. So we're not talking about crowds, we're talking about players. So I think that the French government decision was extremely disappointing because ultimately, I think all the leagues and EPCR, yes, there's been one or two cry-offs and one or two and a number of infections, but as a, as a percentage, I pay credit to what Sports Stadia have done to create secure environments. And I think that should have been the key issue. I've got no problem with the fact that if you shut down borders and you, know, you create natural cross flow, you, you, you prevent that, and then you're gonna have a result. But flying players to and from in a secure environment, I'm not sure that, that they looked at that in enough depth. And certainly the presentation that LNR and the and EPCR made was very strong that the protocols were absolutely tip top best in practice. So it's disappointing. But um, the bottom line is timing is unfortunate because it was right at the stage where you know, there was some nasty scenes of very, very serious inflows of, of sick patients to hospitals, particularly in the south of England, with this new strain. And, you know, everyone was looking at that. I mean, Ireland's got the highest infection rate anywhere right now. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's incredibly difficult to call and we're sports people and all the rest. But I think sports really shown the way forward. And I think this was a knockback for that, which was unnecessary. And then the very last question, the last, last question was the last one, but this is the last question. Um, we know that the EPCR deal is up uh, at the end of 2022. Um, how's things looking for the tournament? We're in a, obviously a, a year where we've changed the actual format of it um, for obvious reasons this year. It's clearly going to change again. Um, what does the future look like for European rugby? Because it's an unbelievable competition. Myself and Jim have been very privi privileged not only to play in it, but to win it a couple of times as well. So... Um, Please tell me it's going to carry on in and continue to grow. And will we see South African teams? There, obviously, there's talk of them coming to the Pro 14, the Stormers, uh, Natal, and the other one. <laughs> Bulls. The Bulls, that's the um, one. The agreement set up in 2014, which is just the year before I became chairman, and it expires effectively in 2022. So we're always going to be debating what the future looked like from two years out, and we've been doing that. We've had an independent review. They've come up with a load of recommendations, which the board is unanimously back. We're now working out what, how that feeds into a new agreement. And it's very exciting. Um, we are right at the end of that process. We're not done yet because six unions, three leagues, you guys have been in rugby a long time. You know that there's always going to be some questions and some ticking of boxes and some alterations and et cetera. And that's fine. But, but the, the great news is that all three leagues are unanimous about the way forward and that the European Cups are embedded in their future. And I think that's a really powerful statement. Uh, obviously, we, are, we only take from the leagues the, the, the teams that they present. So that's the answer on South Africa. Obviously, we know South Africa have an intention to become part of the Pro 16. And we're fully expecting, if that happens, for that to come our way. Um, we'd be pretty naive if we didn't think that. And when you think about that sort of development, um, plus, frankly, the growing strength of all the clubs around all the leagues, 
it's only going to get bigger and better. And uh, it's, you know, we are duty bound to drive an agreement that fully realizes that at the same time, as respect the fact that these are the top players in the world we're talking about. So you need to create a tournament that will fit within the whole calendar. And that's where the three leagues are also done a lot of work. So I'm pretty confident that we're only a short time away from being able to deliver some really good news and, you know, rugby needs some good news. So I'm hopeful for that, but you know, it's never done till it's signed. So um, uh, we're still working very hard on it. All right, Simon. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We'll let you crack on. You've got a lot of work ahead of you and uh, best of luck sorting those tournaments out and getting them into 2021. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Good luck. Top bloke. Top bloke. Yeah. Too much too much detail for me. My head's going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> he used, Genuinely. <laughs> he used some big words. But you know what I like about it is the fact that, you know, we've had some big people on this podcast. We had Sabil come on, obviously, Augustin Pichot, you know, when they were battling it out. To Gary Graham. World Rugby Chairman. Um, Simon Halliday is chairman of the EPCR. They're going through a crisis at the minute. And he's come on and just been as honest as he can with us around what's happening in the here and now. You know, the future of the tournament is giving us insight in there that's some big news coming down the way. Uh, and that sounds like it's, you know, there's going to be a, a bigger and longer term deal that's going to go ahead, which is great. And also, I like him even more because he just blames the French. It's the French. Just blame the French or China. It does show you, though, doesn't it, how, and I'm not going de- deeper into humanization, but how adaptable we are as humans. And I think it's really interesting what he said because there's a lot of talk for sport to end right so a lot of people are saying just cancel sport cancel the football and it's been all over the news and we're close to the game right goody we know a lot of people in the game both from a coaching perspective training perspective and the players as well and I'll just kind of piggyback nay what Simon said there about how hard the teams are working like not just the money that it's costing to test the players but the bubbles that they're having to operate in, the sacrifices that we're all having to make, but you know, that ultimately they're playing sport, have to come back to their families or whatever. So they are being extra careful. And what we do now without having nothing to watch at the weekend. So sport is entertaining us. I don't, again, I don't envy the people that are trying to make the decisions and trying to move everything around. They must be losing sleep because yeah. the reason why I asked that is because people are asking, well, what, why carry on with the Heineken Champions Cup? What's the point? You know, just cancel the two weekends. It's a different format, but there's so many different variables to that. Money, the sponsors, Heineken being the principal sponsor of the tournament, but TV revenue as well from BT Sport. It keeps the clubs afloat as well, a lot of that. And, and that's the point, yeah. And again, as I said last week, you know more about the commercials that lie behind all that, but they're so important for the game. And... I got from that conversation that he thinks the Lions Tours is going ahead around Christmas and I'll be in South (laughs) Africa for about three months just checking the lay of the land. Could be over there for Christmas without the family and just making sure. Not even taking JJ, no? I might take JJ, yeah. He'd be nearly 11 there. But I'm actually taking a year off my life now. That's what I've said to Beck. I was 38 a couple of months ago. Nah, I won't. I'm 38 next November. This year okay. isn't a year. This year isn't a year. Just to let everyone know, just if they're wondering why my 40th isn't happening on the 40th, it's because I'll be 39, but I'll be 40. Basically, I'll be doing a Fijian and just taking a couple of years off my life. 
Maybe I should do that then for this year as well. You wouldn't get I'd, away with it. You wouldn't get away 40, with it. I turned 40. I turned 40 in lockdown and we're still waiting for my big 40th bash. Where are we going? Ibiza? Are we going skiing? What are we doing? Not to Miami again. Is Miami again. Miami. No, I ain't going there again. <laughs> going there was great. I could have fly, I could have flew the plane going there. That's how I felt. <laughs> On the way back, I was convinced it was going down. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Gertie, I saw you wrote an article in Rugby Pass about England taking a 28-man squad into the whole of the Six Nations this year. Do you want to talk us through some of the main points of what you what you covered in that? Well, um, the, the clubs and the RFU and Eddie Jones have agreed that because of the situation we're in, the pandemic, um, you know, the, the case around bubbles and training and clubs wanting to restrict players from coming back and forth and obviously the RFU in England not wanting players to bring into camps they've looked at how to restrict that movement and they've decided that the best way to do it is Eddie Jones gets to pick a 28-man squad um, of which you know they're going to stick together for the whole of Six Nations a la a World Cup or what they did in the Autumn uh, Nations Cup where I think he used 29 players in the Autumn Nations Cup overall Uh, and so there's a very limited movement now clearly there's going to be some injuries right so he gets to name a 28-man squad that he keeps for the entirety of the competition. Those players, normally it's a 32-man squad, I believe. Um, and sometimes he chucks a couple of rookies in there as well. And then he releases seven. So he keeps a squ- squad of 25 from Tuesday onwards. So if you're one of those seven players, you're doing all the hard England training because the likes of you know, when George Cruz was there, he wouldn't train, obviously. We've learned that from Jim. And then George Cruz would play and then you get sent back to your club. So those seven boys would be doing all the training, going back to their clubs, back and forth, back and forth. So they're restricting that by having a 28-man squad that they can keep in their own kind of bubble. And yes, they'll be released to their families throughout periods of time, but they'll have very strict protocols around what they can and can't do. And ultimately, we're all in a lockdown. So if you're in an England squad, you don't want to be going when you're released to your family for a few days don't go don't go either don't go because the kids will be screaming (laughs) or um, if you are going to go you're going to be super vigilant around what you can and can't do unless you've got half a brain cell Um, and that's it really so there's 28 players uh, it then becomes a decision and a question around certain players and how you chop that up as a squad we know Eddie Jones is all about winning week to week to week and you know, what it does do is it reduces the opportunities for some of the players that are putting their hands up in the Premiership. A Joe Simmons, for example. MBE. To bre- M- yeah, sorry. I apologise, Joe. Joe Simmons, MBE, uh, to break into the squad and be given an opportunity, which perhaps he might do. It also poses the question around what happens to Carl Sinclair and what is morally right around his two-match ban. Uh, and the two matches are two meaningful games. So Eddie Jones announces the squad on Friday. Um, if he puts Carl Sinclair in it, I'm just throwing it out there that the two-game ban shouldn't include Bristol's game in the Premiership because had he named him in the Six Nations squad, he wouldn't have played in that game anyway. So it doesn't become a meaningful oh, game to miss. Well, yeah, it is. It is. So morally, you question what he's going to do. Does Eddie Jones then not pick him initially in the squad? Um, let him see out a game ban. Only names 27 players in the initial squad and then brings him in after manipulation that. Manipulation again. I, I, sound like, I sound like a judge or a jury or a lawyer. I know. It's manipulation. Or does Eddie Jones take it on the chin, name him in the squad anyway, alongside two other uh, tighter props, which would be... Um, Not Coley. Will Stewart and probably Harry Williams or bring Dan Cole back. And, you know, then that's three tighter props in a 28-man squad where you can only chop and change players if there's probable serious injuries. Um, it makes it interesting. So, well, what what do you think he should do? What would you do? What, what I think he should do. I think Carl Sinclair should 
be banned for two meaningful games. And what that means is he either doesn't get picked in the England squad of 28 and then he hopes, I say hopes, it's a horrible thing to hope someone gets injured so he can get called in further down the line. That would be fair. Or if Eddie Jones picks him, he has to miss the first two England games, which are Scotland and Italy, which are two guaranteed victories with bonus points anyway. So do you need Carl Sinclair? (laughs) (laughs) So you you sit there and you think the sensible thing, and because you're going to get, Eddie Jones is going to get questioned. The, The Carl Sinclair thing is going to come up when he announces his squad because people will be saying none of those players that get announced in that squad and it happened, it's not a just for this year because it's COVID. Every year, those players aren't available the week before the Six Nations starts for their clubs in a league game um, or if it's an, an Anglo-Welsh game or whatever. They take them out. That's part of the uh, agreement with the RFU and the PRL. So it doesn't count as a meaningful game. And, you know, I generally think that if you're going to be honest and we're going to have morals around it if you give them a two-game ban it should be two meaningful games and the Bristol game in the league the week before the Six Nations if he selects him in the England squad shouldn't count as a meaningful game I ain't bothered either way no you're not because you're Scottish um, but, <laughs> thank you thank, yes I am yeah. thank you yes I am but uh, do you think it's morally right then that if you're given a ban the RFU or Eddie Jones or whoever can bend the rules to suit them. I, I just, what's the point then of having a judicial system if there's ways around it? There was one comparison where a team a couple of years ago, I think it was a Welsh team, arranged a friendly fixture so that one of their players that counted as a meaningful match. And they've only I, done I just, that. They've only done that recently. When I got banned, like it was a thing, for twelve weeks, I didn't miss twelve games. I missed the summer tour, and that was it. Yeah, it was. It was. Back in the day, it was weeks, wasn't it? So didn't matter whether there's games or not. Now it's actually in the written in the laws. It's meaningful matches. Um, and people say, oh, well, Bristol's premiership match is meaningful. Yes, it is. But if he's in the England squad, he wouldn't have been picked that. So he's for that. So he's not missing a game anyway. So we'll see. I just think that the right thing to do, there's an obvious right thing to do. And there's an, a way that people will see as bending the rules. So we shall see what develops from that. And also, let's just end with this. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Eddie knows. Eddie knows. And Jim, did you see Eddie Jones at the uh, the Ealing Trailblazers game watching and Billy Vanapola play for Saris? Umbro Beanie. Mate, he listens to the pod. Called him out for wearing Under Armour. He is fully umbroed up to the max this weekend. He was. And if he... he, he he's, he's a denier. He's a podcast denier. Just do what David Walsh does and admit it and publish it and just say, the lads have opened me up. I'm not sponsored by Under Armour. I'm sponsored by Umbro. And for that, I'm sorry. And I won't be on my phone as much when I'm watching games. <laughs> well, if you're on the lookout for more great rugby content, we recently had World Cup winner Dan Lugas, Ian McGeekin, Jimmy Gopeth, Francis Scott Spedding, Blair Cowan, Owens, Sean O'Brien, Zach Holmes, and others on our Superfan subscription service at patreon.com. And if you sign up, you get access to all of those, plus over 60 more interviews with the biggest names for all than less than the price of a cup of coffee or a pint. Just head to patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod to find out more. And I caught up with Exeter, Wales and British and Irish Lions winger Alex Cuthbert on there recently. Have a listen to this. Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Swing back a couple of years, back to 2013, the the Lions tour. I mean, that's another highlight for you, surely. Yeah, that was a great trip. Two months, mate. It was one of the two best best two months of my life, really, I think, really, in terms of uh, other than having my little child and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, mate, the, met, met some great mates, still great mates of all those boys on that tour, and to win it as well. It was, the only thing I guess I was pissed off is uh, first test, scored a great try. I felt like I played quite well, and then, 
was on the bench and then get, didn't get looking in the third test. So I was a bit frustrated in terms of that. But in terms of the tour itself, mate, it was unbelievable. Like, I've never seen just the, the amount of fans that are out there. And then Australia was class. You know, it was a great country. And, and we, we made the most of that trip, you know, especially the last couple of weeks when we sort of, we were, we knew we weren't playing. You know, we were out in Sydney every night. And yeah, it was pretty sweet, really. Being in your position and, and, and playing well and, and at the start and then like not being in the test and that how does that affect your tour because you kind of want to be in or right out don't you because you you want to know if you're definitely playing or you want to just be able to enjoy the tour and go out in the bears yeah i think like you said for me i i went on that tour i think i went on that tour wanting to play every game you know i, I felt like i was the sort of most informed winger at that time and but then when i knew i wasn't going to be picked i you know boys wanted to know early doors so they could organize the lights out in the in the week then because obviously there's that 40 odd players it was still a little bit like, you know, the old school Lions where, um, you know, we everyone enjoyed a few beers after games and, and throughout the week whatnot. But, um, yeah, I remember coming to the end of like the last week and um, a few of us had been on the, the piss a bit. And um, uh, they pretty much picked a select few players then to train against the team because obviously we were like sort of, we were obviously maybe still a little bit intoxicated during, during the week. <laughs> they told us to sort of just chill the last couple of last couple of days so they picked a select few players to train against the team for the test team and then the, the rest of the squad sort of I guess just enjoyed Australia really because um you know, you know I guess we made the most of it but it was an awesome trip mate like met some top boys out there really pod 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 rugby pod there you go just head to patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod if you like the sound of that and we couldn't do all this without you so a massive thanks to everyone who's already signed up for your support should we have a look at the rumour mill? Oh, yeah. go on then. Let's go go on. on then. What's floating around, boys? Well, my first one, Saracens have a empty coach's space, a vacancy, call it what you will. Jim Hamilton to Saracens as forwards coach. Guilty or not guilty? Not guilty, as oh. charged. But did you no. phone him and say, can I, can I have the job, can I have the job, can I have yeah, the job? Yeah, of course it did. Maybe a good job though, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Be a good job. I don't know. They like to do things internally and there's been a big shift at Saracens, hasn't there? So I imagine for the fact that they've got Marutoji and the Vullapola brothers, that it's probably the most sought after job in world rugby would be to be a forwards coach or defensive coach at Saracens. So we will see. They normally recruit within. So Adam, Adam Powell? He stepped up already. They've announced that, Jim. But he's not... A f- He's not a forward, though, is he, Jim? He's not a forward. I don't know, mate. I don't know who they're going to employ. Who knows? <laughs> Haven't you got another friend that used to be at Saracens that's now coaching? Well, there was, there was something in the, in the rugby paper about Kelly Brown. Yeah. Uh, no comment. That's a yes. No, the, the, it's a who knows. That's what it is. <laughs> so oh. I don't know. It would it would be a good move for Saracens to bring someone like Kelly back, obviously, but he's contracted with Glasgow and they had their first win. In Conference A against Edinburgh, there was a train that went by just before half time. It was unbelievable. You should have seen it. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, Michael Checker to Montpellier. He's been bubbling for that, a while. That, that looks like it's probably happening, doesn't it? Yeah, and I reckon Checker, in the position that Montpellier are in, it's ironic when your name's Michael Checker, you can name your Checker. Do you get it, Jim? Well, I get it because... But who writes checks now? Everything's contactless, so it doesn't yeah, true, really work. True, just, true. just doesn't I, work. Not in France, though. They're definitely <laughs> writing checks in France still. <laughs> I don't reckon uh, you can do a contactless amount for what Michael Checker could name his price for. If there's 500,000 reasons why Alex Anderson has gone to sell Sharks, there's a million reasons 
why Michael Checker could go to Montpellier. And if he's looking for a forwards coach, and it starts with a five or a six, <laughs> bonjour, ça va, la Kelly touche Brown. la bonte. <laughs> Kelly Brown, you're in, mate. What else have we got? Uh, what else? Chris Ashton. You said it earlier, Jim. He's basically phoning anyone and everyone to get out of Harlequins, I've heard. Desperate to go to Northampton is what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> Family are from there. I think, yeah. I think that's where he's living again now, isn't it? Yeah, that's where he's living now. So it's a difficult one for Ashley, isn't it? 34. He had an absolute shocker against Racing. I don't know if you saw it, but <laughs> Why it, it was awful. Um, <laughs> but he is still a good player. He's a winger. But the thing is now, it's like you look at the, the profile of, of players and that list came out about the most well-paid players, you know, from the fly half and believe it or not, the second rows were there. The poor hookers, they're bottom of the food chain. But someone like Ashy, who's 34, can score tries, can't catch a high ball, comes off his forehead, has uh, <laughs> been around the block a bit, you know, and has left contracts. Like he left Saracens when he was under contract to go to Toulon, left Toulon under contract, goes to Sale, left Sale under contract. It's now at Quinn's and it looks like they're not going to offer him a longer deal. You're thinking, well, how much does does a Chris Ashton want? He'll probably want. How much much does he want it as well? Yeah, well, he'll want two hundred, two fifty. He might get offered one fifty, a bit less. But you think of young lads that come through now that are fast, right, and that are probably quite raw. You look at how Lewis Rees-Samet come through as well. Like there's players like that coming through the system now. So if you're a Northampton or Worcester or whoever, are you best placed to try and bring an academy player through and? try and fill the void with that money that you've got and money's tight with a second row or pay your poor hooker who's having to work as a bin man on the side as well because he's that underpaid. <laughs> Give him a little bit more money as well. Who'd be a hooker? Who'd be a hooker in any, any rugby team? The lowest paid players. Who would have thought? Oh, well, that's the, the other thing is, the way you describe that, Jim, not only how much does he want, but how much does he want it as well? Are you, are you, are you questioning his desire from that wrestling game, are you? I'm not, mate. I'm just saying, you, you've, you've spelt it out there that he left Saracens under contract. He left Toulon under contract. He left Sale while, whilst under contract. And, you know, this is coming from two guys that signed for London Irish but then didn't rock up. Well, you didn't rock up. I rocked up, didn't fancy it. I did um, the rightful thing. What was that? Signed the contract and then <laughs> fuck it off. Then gave them plenty of notice. And basically, <laughs> so I, I was honest with them. Jim, what's up with you? I'm fucked. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's the thing. So, you know, do you want to spend a chunk of money to a player that how long do you know whether he's going to be there or not? And in reality, the only two clubs I think that he in the UK would give everything for. Coventry. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe he's been at he's been at both of them, hasn't he? Um, in Saints and uh, Sale, you you know he'd probably give everything to those couple of clubs for the last couple of years of his career, perhaps if he goes for a couple of years. But he can't get in the Quinns team at the minute. Poor bloke. The last, his last performance was bang average, but he's got a hell of a track record of scoring tries. So it's a decision. It's a luxury to have him, isn't it? If we're being honest. Um, but I know he's been on the phone constantly to Alex Anderson. He's phoning Mark Quato up as well, trying to get him to get him to sign for a sale as well. He's sorry for leaving. He wants his house back. He doesn't want to live in Northampton anymore, but then he does want to live in Northampton. He doesn't want to play for Quinns, but then he does. Who knows? He didn't want to break two weeks ago. Just give the lad a break. Someone give him a deal because it's good fun watching Ashley play. What's happening with Turalangi? Is he staying at sale? Well, it'll be interesting to see how Alex Anderson manages him. I spoke to Josh Beaumont a couple of weeks ago, did a feature with uh, him for Rugby Pass. And we were chatting about Manu and he said that everything looks on course. 
Achilles injuries are nasty, right? John Barkley, one of my good mates, uh, ruptures Achilles. And not that he was the quickest anyway. I think he was all right after. It looked horrendous. The scar and stuff that he had after and the rehab he had to do to get back from the Achilles injury was gnarly. And it's a, it's a big old injury. If you're Manu and you've been through that, you're on an artificial pitch at sale, it's a difficult one to come back from. I think he will come back, but it's like, do you just now go away and try and cash in? And I say with that with the utmost respect, he could go to France, he can go to a Toulon and Racing and their teams that are being banded about for him because they're two of the biggest names in rugby in France, in Europe, in the world, and they'd want him. Alex Anderson would be very good at managing someone like Manu, though, in terms of making sure he, he got back to fitness, wouldn't put huge amounts of pressure on him. But if you're Manu Tuolangi and you've been through the mill and your ambition was probably to play for the British and Irish Lions, we know that that, that was his big ambition. He told, he told me that. He's, he's told us that. So if that's now gone... What are you thinking? Are you thinking, right, there's a World Cup in France in a couple of years. Will my body hold out in a congested season if we see another congested season? Like, how does that look? Or do I sign a two or three year deal in France for big money because of the profile that I bring? It's, it, it, Manu's a difficult one because of the injuries that he's had, but also the profile and the quality that he is. is a really difficult player to answer questions on. Yeah, it is difficult. And, you, you know, if you're head of recruitment for any French club or Japanese club and you do your job well and, and you're worth your salt, you're going to look at it and go, how many pl- games has he played over the last two, three, four f- seasons consistently? So, you know, I, th- I think what was the stat when he came out of Leicester, when he left Leicester, he played, he'd averaged nine games a year across his career. That ain't a lot, is it? When you're paying someone a lot of money, especially under the current circumstances. And it's not, you don't look at it and go, oh, you know, it's because he's, it's his fault or whatever. It's just a circumstance of how he plays and, and how physical he is, whether that's ball in hand or not. You know, you're going to get those injuries. And unfortunately, um, it's difficult for him because if, you know, if you're a, a Racing or a, a big, do you need him? No, because you've got Vakatawa. If you're Toulon or Toulouse, you know, the big clubs with big cash, maybe a Toulon you could see. Top 14 is um, tough as well, though, eh? That's a tough it's league. It's brutal, eh? mate. Yeah, it's brutal. And you expect... Look at all the players that have gone there. And this is the thing. The only way Manu Tuolangi gets to the, the World Cup in France in 2023 is if he's well looked after by a club who are paying him his wages week to week to week, which, Jim, as you know, as I know, when you go to France, they expect a pound of flesh because they're paying you well, and rightly so. So you don't necessarily... The, the French club don't care how, you, how well you're looked after. And... Do you then go, give up your England career in the hope that you can sign somewhere short-term when you come? It's a big risk for everything, isn't it? So, I don't know. It's, it's tough. And, you know, you'd love to be Manu Tuolangi fit and firing, but actually it's there's some tough decisions for him to make for him and his family and what's best for him and his family around his career. And, you know, you hope he's got five years left, but his injury profile ain't great, is it? We can throw one more in there because my mates in Cheltenham and Gloucester will be devastated. They're not going to see a white Lamborghini rocking around with a tattooed South African-looking Hercules in Francois Hogarth. He's leaving. Leaving Worcester. Can you see that? Yeah, I've heard he's off back to the Bulls um, where, you know, he started his career and, yeah, he's he's been brilliant for Worcester. Let's, you know, not beat around Jim's bush. He has been brilliant at times. But, 
all thing, all good things come to an end. I've heard Will Chudley has been lined up to be his replacement from Bath, who's a very good scrum half. Obviously, applied his trade at Exeter uh, as they progressed through and started challenging at the top end of the Premiership, and um, then moved on to Bath as he fell behind Nick White and other players at Exeter. And now, obviously, Ben Spencer's gone to Bath. I really rate Will Chudley, so I think he'd be brilliant for Worcester if Hugard does part ways at the end of the season. So. Yeah, it'd be a shame to see Hugard leave because he has been brilliant in the Premiership um, and he's definitely a bums-on-seats player for Worcester. Uh, but Will Chudley going there will certainly you know, fill that void as well as he can. Right, well, the riddle went down well last week and we've got time for another one this week, haven't we, Jim? Yeah, we have. And I'm going to give you the riddle intro with the emotion and the energy that I'm feeling. It's that time of the week, lads. It's Jim will solve it. Riddle me this, lads. Riddle me that, Carol. Where are you? I've not heard of you this week. Jim will solve it, lads. Peel back. <laughs> Is that it? That's it. That's it. People love the long one. I was going through Gerald's Cross last week and people were like that. Goody. Where's Jim? Well, hit me Hit me with it. If I get it, I'll hit you with it. If I get it quickly and it boosts the adrenaline levels, then I'll, I'll smash one at the end. But all you're getting now is a peel back. One rabbit saw six elephants while going to the river. Every elephant saw two monkeys going towards the river. Jesus. Every monkey holds one parrot in their hands. How many animals are definitely going towards the river? All of them. Well, you can't just say all of them. Well, we need I, a number, Jim. You can't just say every animal that you've just listed. Okay, so one rabbit. Has he got two eyes, the rabbit, right? So he ain't seeing things. One rabbit saw six elephants, right? So hang on, let me write that down. So one rabbit, six elephants, one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm doing like a tally thing, six. So one rabbit saw six elephants while going to the river. Every elephant saw two monkeys. My word, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Right. Every monkey holds one parrot in their hands. Right. One, 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 one. How many animals are definitely going towards the river? Well, there's a lot of them. And if there's crocodiles and lions, one of them's getting eaten on the way to the river is all I'm thinking because one will be slower than the other and others won't know that the lions come in. And then if they go near the river, the crocodile might come out and eat them. But let me just see. One, two, three. If my tally's right, I have got 25 animals are definitely going towards the river. Negative. Is the rabbit going to the river or not? We're getting there. We're getting there. Read it again. So one rabbit saw six elephants. So he's there looking, thinking, right, these elephants... Stop trying to add saw to Saw six elephants while going... Jim. One rat. I've got it, I think. I've got it, I think. So one rabbit saw six elephants while going... So he saw them. He saw them, right? So it, that doesn't mean they're going. They could be cleaning each other with their big, long trunks. Every elephant <laughs> saw two monkeys going towards the river. Oh, okay, so the monkeys are going. So wait there. So one rabbit's going. Two monkeys. So every elephant... Oh, gosh. So the elephants aren't going. So I need to cross them out. They're definitely not going. But the monkeys are. Every monkey holds one parrot in their hands. Okay, so I need to just take the elephants out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. No. How? So... Give me some hints then. So one one rabbit saw six elephants while going to the river. Yeah. So the, the elephants ain't going. As, thirst, as thirsty as they are, they ain't going, right? They, no. they have to, they've got to wait. Yeah. Every elephant saw two monkeys going towards the river. 
So the monkeys are going to the river, right? Yeah. So I've got that. So how, how many monkeys? There's 12 of them. Really? Well, every elephant, there's six elephants, saw two monkeys going. Did they see two monkeys going or did they see two monkeys each? so there's two monkeys going with one rabbit (laughs) yeah (laughs) every monkey holds one parrot in their hands is it each hand or not god this is what does it say this is ridiculous right every monkey how many monkey how many monkeys were there there's two of them lovely little things right and so every monkey holds one parrot in their hands how many parrots are there then there's four why is there four well, they've got two hands, have they? Not monkeys or not? Every if you hold monkey, a monkey in your hands, how many? How many? I mean, if you hold a parrot in your hands, how many parrots have you got in your well, hand? Well, I could hold three in one hand, and my hands are that big and strong. Just hear me. Hear the sentence. Every monkey three holds monkey. one parrot in their hands. One, two, Every three. monkey so holds there's five. one. Is there five? There's five. Five what? Five animals definitely Yay! going towards the river. <laughs> I've got it. See, it's all right when you write it down, you do the tally and stuff like that. It's, um, yeah, it just takes a bit of time and we've all got time on our hands now and that's cheered me up. So I'm going to hit you, lads. Riddle me this, lads. Riddle me that, Carol. We'll see you around the Six Nations if it goes ahead. If not, we'll see you next year. I'll still be 38. Jim just solved it. I'm out of breath. Oh, I can smell your breath from here, Jim. I can literally smell it myself. That last bit, it came from deep within and just something popped out. It might have been a testicle, but it, it might wind up in a black tooth. <laughs> right, let's finish things off with the good, the bad and the ugly. And sons are with us, as usual, to help everyone out with their lid in 2021. They're a men's health brand that's helping guys with one of the key issues that they don't often talk about, how to keep their hair Sons offer a range of licensed and medically proven products for preventing and treating hair loss, as well as a free online consultation with GPs, and they deliver via a monthly or three-monthly subscription direct to your door. It's reasonably priced with no contract or hidden charges, and most importantly, they get results in 9 out of 10 men. So say hello to the new old you. Visit sons.co.uk and use the code RUGBYPOD20 to get 20 quid off your first order. That's sons.co.uk and use the code rugby pod 20 yeah not much ruggers to talk about but i found a few good bad and ugly bits around the game this weekend we'll start off with the good and we'll start off in france jim toulon yes yes you read my mind toulon get a mention in the good this week winning away at racing 29 23 and specifically gabin villiers uh, in not giving up on what some might say was a lost cause as vakatawa went over the line from the most ludicrous offload from teddy the bear thomas um, Vakatawa, what are you doing, son? Put the ball uh, down. How hard was the tackle as well? Oh, he's absolutely <laughs> belted him. Did My you see Vakatawa's face afterwards? He's like, oh, oh, properly hurt that. So uh, fair play to Toulon winning up at La Défense Arena. Uh, what else was good? We'll stay in France. Cast, another away victory. They won away at Montpellier in a battle of the basement. A 72nd minute Vipulu score and a Ben Erdepajeta conversion won it 21-19. So a big performance by them. They've been in trouble, Cast. They've been mentioned in the bad a few times. Uh, so we'll get them in the good this week. Um, what else is good? It's a great week to be a Sale Sharks fan. Player, coach, owner, corporate hospitality member, 
Pete Anglesey, Dog Walker, whatever you are, it's a great week for Sale Sharks because they have got big hours services as director of rugby. Uh, he's a fantastic appointment and that club can now move forward uh, looking up the table and expect to be winning the World Cup, as Jim said, in a couple of years. Error. What else is good? Glasgow. Always Glasgow, isn't it? Is it always Glasgow? Or no, they beat always Edinburgh. It's Glasgow Warriors. Yeah, we are. Warriors. Hashtag we are, I think. We are Warriors. Uh, beating always Edinburgh 23-22 in the 1872 Mickey Mouse Cup. Uh, Ross Thompson gets a big mention as well. Man of the match, 13 points on his first start for the club. Even the train driver absolutely did Cockers and Edinburgh over by two in his hurt, hurt, just before half time. Nick Groom didn't know what he was doing. Ran backwards about 40 yards, kicked the ball out. They get the penalty to go one point down just before half-time. It all worked for Glasgow, didn't it, Jim? It did. And did anyone see the last play of the game or not? Uh, no. Well, let Far me inform away. you quickly. Yeah, so Glasgow winning the game by one point, like we just mentioned then. And they were carrying on playing. They just needed to kick the ball out. But no one knows if there's going to be a third 1872 Cup, which will come down to the aggregated scores of the two games, or whether there won't be a game. So we're doing the commentary, obviously well-informed or ill-informed. We're not sure whether it's going to go ahead, but the players didn't know whether it was going to go ahead. Kelly Brown shouting, kick the ball off, and Ryan Wilson shout, keep the ball on. So no one knows. <laughs> and the moral of the story is, who knows? <laughs> and who won the first game, Edinburgh? Hashtag, yeah. And what was the score in that one, Jim? Oh, it was a classic 10-7, I think. I I'm not going to work out the aggregates. Okay, so I'm not that- working out. I'm not working out the aggregates. <laughs> it's not about me. This is your segment. So Glasgow Warriors get a mention in the good, but the good this week can only go to one team, one place, and it is the Ealing Trailblazers, Trailfinders, Trailfinders.com, multi multi travelling millionaires. An outstanding victory. They absolutely spanked Saracens 27-26. It was effectively a draw, but yeah, fine. In the, in the Trailblazers Cup, big statement for them. You got to tip the slipper to them, tip the hat. Uh, Craig Willis kicking penalties galore uh, my old understudy great bloke as well so a big tip of the slipper to the Ealing Trailfinders alright I'll give him it yeah uh, bad uh, a couple of bad bits uh, we'll start off with Reese Patchell unfortunately sounds like he's been ruled out of the Six Nations uh, from injury so a massive loss for them Wales rugby in general have got a lot of injuries at the minute I was looking through the list this morning you go Alan Jones is he going to be fit Ken Owens Josh Navidi um, the list carries on. There's Ants loads of injuries. Ants injured. comes out. Um, just hope Bigaroo's fit. Um, Sheedy may play, actually, to be fair. But, yeah, loads of injuries and massive pressure on Wayne Pivak. His squad comes out on Wednesday, I believe. So watch this space for that. But bad news. Uh, Reese Patchell out for the Six Nations. Uh, what else was bad? Uh, Montpellier, who mentioned that Cast beat them. They're going in the bad Montpellier. They lost at home to Cast, and that's now seven defeats on the spin. Uh, Michael Checker, name your price some because he's coming in to save them. Uh, pretty bad from them at the minute. I'll just blame Jim Hamilton from being Trey Fatigue back in the day. Well, I will go there and make up for it. 500 grand a year, two-step lobs all day long. They will start winning lineouts. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, what else was bad? Uh, Saracens losing to the Trailblazers, but not only losing to the Trailblazers, losing their Trailblazer, their head coach, their main oh, man. What a segue. So, what yes, a segue. Loved yes. it. Yes. Absolutely well, loved that. Losing Alex Anderson earlier in the week. Uh, so bad news for them. And then they backed that up with a loss to the Trailblazers. Uh, what else was bad? Nick Groom. I'm sorry. You're a scrum half. You should know better. You should have your eye on the clock throughout the whole game. 
You should understand what is going on and not listen to the trains going by. Who's on then, trains now? This is the, then, that's yeah. all I'm thinking. I'm watching yeah. and I'm and I'm not thinking about the kick. I'm thinking, who's on a train now? Stay home to eat, home to eat out, but don't eat out, but stay home. I'm just thinking, <laughs> who's on there? Well, you missed it in comms, so because you were walking down the stairs getting a COVID test going out the back, uh, so in the front, <laughs> three around <laps>. the corner. <laughs> yeah. Keep your mask on, take it off, put it on, put it on your head, put it out your nose. What? What else is bad? The bad this week has to go to Virumi Vakatawa. Uh, gets over the line after a ludicrous offload uh, from Teddy, the Teddy Bear Thomas. Uh, 17-3 down at home against Toulon. Just put the ball down, son. Then out of nowhere, here comes Gavin Villiers. Boom! Knock, knocks the ball out of his hands. Absolutely fills him in on the floor for good measure. And Racing go on to lose that game. So the bad this week has to go to Virumi Vakatawa. Although, when you watch the highlights reel, he was absolutely ridiculous for the rest of the game. Uh, the ugly... Um, Really struggling to find anything ugly, but I'm going ugly by association and ugly by look this week, Jim. Over the weekend, and every politician is welcome to go and do what they want to do. Oh, God. But when Matt Hancock is walking through a children's park with shoulder pads on and a rugby ball under his hands, that is not a good look for the game of rugby. <laughs> this guy, Matt Hancock, clueless at times, doesn't answer questions at other times. And he's wearing shoulder pads. And, and Gilbert Karen. trainers. He's wearing Gilbert Velcro trainers. <laughs> Who even knows that Gilbert Velcro trainers exist? The poor bloke. The poor bloke. He's wearing, I bet he's not poor, but he's wearing Gilbert Velcro trainers. And if you wear Gilbert Velcro trainers, fair play to you. Maybe it's a fashion statement. But shoulder pads, carrying a rugby ball, smiling through a what looks like a kid's park. Um, just not on, mate. So that is the ugly this week. The fact that Matt Hancock plays his ruggers at the weekend with Gilbert Velcro trainers, shoulder pads on, and carries a rugby ball around the park. Not having it. He's such a... Um, yeah, I mean, he's obviously got a tough job. He's got a tough job. <laughs> Thanks, Goody. You guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yes. Big shout-out to a group of around 20 people from Sandy Bay Rugby Club. Goody, you'll be familiar with that name in Hong Kong. They're hiking yeah, the yeah. Hong Kong Trail in memory of Marcus Flegman who played for them briefly a while back and also was a Mexican international. Marcos sadly lost a four-year battle with cancer recently and they're doing the 50-kilometer hike this Saturday. So massive good luck to the guys. Uh, they've got a GoFundMe page for Marcos Flegman if you want to show them your support. Yeah, good stuff to the boys out in Hong Kong. Can't wait to get back out there as well at some point. And also a big shout out to Robert Lennox, Grant Kemp, Martin Muller and Matt Bell, who are rowing the Atlantic next year in aid of Pass It Back. They all met playing rugby in Hong Kong for Valley RFC and it's going to be a hell of a challenge. It's for a great cause in Child Fund's Pass It Back. It uses tag rugby to teach children and young people a range of valuable life skills and you can check out eastrosewest.com to find out more about it and all show them your support so what a challenge that is to everyone doing a couple of challenges out in hong kong one in the summer one this weekend to raise money for charity it's a hell of an effort thanks goody thanks jim thanks producer tim and thank you very much for listening don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on leave us a review and check us out on youtube as well rugby pod i think who knows pod 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 (laughs) 